Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon. Calvary meets in the Joppa Falston area between Baltimore and Bel Air, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. Come join us on a Sunday. Our service info is at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. Well, happy Lord's Day. We are in Revelation chapter 14. Starting in verse 12. You made it, Doc. <laughs> you know, it's bad when the guy that runs out and gets our coffee goes, I'm not going to make it today. <laughs> you have doomed us all. No. <laughs> let's, we're going to start at verse 12, but let's get a running start at verse 9. Uh, Revelation 14. And another angel, a messenger, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of the torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Now, the third message hits pretty heavy. <laughs> uh, but then it switches from the warnings of living like a non-believer to the blessedness of living like a believer. So verse 12, we move from heavy to light. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Let's pause here. The mark of a true believer. You want to know that you're saved? Well, God tells you. First, you endure. Secondly, you keep God's commandments. And third, you have a faith in Jesus. So the markers of a saving faith is one that endures keeps God's commandments, and has a faith in Jesus. And last week, we looked at the first marker of a true believer, is that they endure. That Greek word there, hupaname, it means not just endurance, but a patient endurance, a faithful uh, endurance. Uh, th that word hupaname is used in antiquity to describe a, a good quality sword, a sword that endures blows. And so that is to be your faith. It is to survive attack. Now, secondly, the saint, uh, a believer, and maybe you've come from a Catholic background and you see that word saint and you think, oh, and you got the halo and they are the others. Uh, biblically, a saint in the Bible is a believer, a plain old believer. That's you too. Uh, and so not the band, but you as well. Um, <laughs> um uh, that, that just means the believer. <clears throat> so the, the believer, a saint, is someone who keeps God's commandments. When we hear the word commandment, that doesn't typically bring about feelings of joy, now does it? <laughs> we can think of the Old Testament law, maybe Charlton Heston, or the Ten Commandments, or the Torah. And this is fair because this word for commandments in today's text is the same word that Paul would use, say in Romans chapter 7, of describing the Old Commandment, the Old Testament Torah, the laws. Now, the Old Testament law, see, we want to be careful here. There's a real wave moving in the church right now, and, and hopefully you're unaware of this, <laughs> but if you are, uh, are aware of this, there's a huge move coming through the church right now that says the Old Testament law was bad. That, 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 that the law was defeated because it's no good. We don't need to worry about it anymore. We don't need to think about it anymore. But the Old Testament law was perfect. It was good. It was right. It reveals the heart of God to us. But at the same time, all believers in Jesus Christ were freed from the law. We don't have to keep the 316 commandments or the 613 commandments of, of the law. We, we are freed from the law because Jesus fulfilled all of the requirements of the law within himself. You know, ironically, tomorrow night, I'm, I'm running through this uh, for the Bible study. 
and, and, and the elevator pitch here is that Jesus is the Word made flesh. He is the Old Testament made flesh. He is living Torah. Everything he does is living Torah. He is living Scripture. And as we follow Jesus, as you follow Jesus and have faith in Jesus, you are perfectly keeping the law through him and in him. And so us believers are not under the Old Testament laws and commands, but believers are under the word and the commandments of Christ. So we don't want to think, well, we're free from the Old Testament law. Jesus did all that. And now I'm going to uh, uh, Margarita Paradise or whatever. That song. And we don't have to worry about, we don't have to keep any commandments. Life is a perpetual vacation. No, no, no. Uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9.21. To those outside the law, it became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I may win those outside the law. So if you are a Christian, that means you have a king. And his name is Jesus. And as his people in his kingdom, we are to follow the commandments of the king. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We are to follow the commandments of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who doesn't love that verse? I love that one. But notice how Jesus, what Jesus says next. Verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is no greater place in the universe than resting in the favor of God. You ever just know you're at peace with God in these little windows of clarity? And it's like, I wouldn't trade this in for anything. There is no sweeter place than being in the favor of God. It comes with a joy uh, that surpasses all understanding. It comes with a satisfaction that surpasses all understanding, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And especially in light of the Old Testament, in Christ we are freed from the law. What a source of praise that is. That, that, that our, our peace with God was purchased by that once-for-all sacrifice when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And so we are not in a state of trying to appease God. Did you know that in you're not trying to win God's favor by keeping commandments. That's not what this is. You're not trying to make peace with God. No, because peace has already been provided for you in the person and works of Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is believe, not believe and do, just believe. But we also don't want to miss the reality. Didn't Jesus just also say that he also gives a yoke? You know what a yoke is? A yoke, if you've ever seen um, pictures of agriculture where they take a big bar and they put it on two oxen and they, they fasten the oxen together so they don't go this way, so they move the same line, and then attached are normally some straps and sometimes they'll have a big heavy stone tool or steel or you know whatever the, the, the time period is and they'll stick that in the earth and so as the axe mushes and drives, it makes a huge agricultural line in the, in, the, in the soil and then they can put their seed down and fill it up and do that all sorts of thing. But it's a bar. It's this bar to help guide us. Well, so many people love the first part of Jesus' message about rest, but completely, well, we don't need this part about the yoke now, do we? <laughs> the point is, Jesus doesn't remove the weight of our sin. And how heavy is that weight? That's the heaviest weight. Jesus doesn't remove the weight of our sin, the weight of evil, the, the weight of longing to belong and replace it with nothing. That would just be a new kind of hell. God didn't send his son Jesus to save humanity so that they could be free to do whatever they want without guidance, without direction, without purpose. You ever want to ruin a young man or a young woman? Give them no guidance. 
It will destroy them. It's no different than when we're born again into the kingdom of God. If God didn't guide us, what a miserable existence would that be? So no, the, the king, Jesus, he, in his love, he replaces the yoke of slavery and evil with something infinitely lighter but the yoke of himself. And his yoke is infinitely more light, infinitely more pleasant and freeing and joyful than Satan's and the world's, but he still calls it a yoke. And the point is, when we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, we still have some commandments. His commandments, as Paul just said. And what is Christ's commandments? What is God's commandments? It's, well, a command. <laughs> it's a law. It's a rule. And us believers should follow and abide by those rules. Now, what are the commandments? What are the rules that we are supposed to keep? And the answer is the New Testament. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14.37 says that his whole letter was a commandment. Paul, what in your book are we supposed to, what is a commandment for us? Paul, the whole thing, <laughs> the whole letter was a command according to Paul. Everything Jesus said, everything, everything the apostles wrote about the entire New Testament is what we, the believer, need to build our life upon. It is our, our commandments. It is our yoke. It is the house we're to build our lives on, our marriages on, our families on, the church upon. For example, when you listen to Jesus in John 13, 34, he says, a, command, a new commandment I give. So again, Jesus gave us commandments. Same word for law. I know when we hear that, that might be a little e, but it's the same word. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, you can hear that and go, oh, well, I like that one. <laughs> I like that commandment. I'm going to love people, and that's great, and I'm glad you agree with God. But the point is, God's not requesting it. He's telling you. You need to love one another. This is a commandment. And, to, uh, and Peter, uh, Peter in 2 Peter 3 says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. I, in both of them, I am stirring you up, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. It is a marker of the last days that when scoffers come and deceive to pull you away from the teachings of Christ, teachings of the apostles, and to tell you there are no rules. That is a marker of the last days. John wrote in John, 2 John 6, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. <laughs> this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Again, God did not save us to let us remain the same. When God saved you, how much sin were you in the middle of? <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Thank God he has some sort of standard or rules to live by. Because he pulled you through his spirit out of the mud. And when we reject God's law because I'm free, Jesus loves me no matter what I do. Okay, okay. We're demanding to dive back in the mud. That, that's no place for a prince in the kingdom. That's no place for God's daughter to play in the mud when the castle's right on the other side. <laughs> when we were born again, John 3, we were born into a new kingdom. And this kingdom is not lawless. If you ever want to see hell on earth, go to a country without laws and laws that aren't enforced. His is a kingdom with perfect order. So the first marker of a true believer is that they endure to the end, that they don't abandon the faith no matter what comes at them. 
So we, you know what? You should be stubborn. <laughs> your pastor tells you, be stubborn. Be stubborn in your faith. No matter what Satan throws at you, don't quit. I, uh, I'm a sucker for those Rocky movies. Every time it comes on, I'm like, whoa, 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 you know, and... And every, every single movie, they're just punching this Italian in the head and he doesn't stop. And it's frustrating to everybody. But that's our Christian faith. Hit me again. I don't care. You're going to have to kill me. That is to be your faith. The ability to sustain blows. Now, the second mark of a true believer is that they study the word to live the word. And God's word is so good. <laughs> God's not telling you to sell everything you have, give to the poor, give to the church. If you say one curse word, say 10 Hail Marys. God's not running you through this gambit. His word is perfect. Think about the commands we heard today. Love one another. You know how awesome it would be if everyone tried to do this all the time? <laughs> that sounds great. And unity. Be united. Stop fighting over stupid little things. Be united. Fight for peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Oh, can you imagine a world with no more drama? That sounds wonderful. And joy. You know, it's a command to be joyful in the scripture. It's not a request. It's not an ask. It's a command. Be joyful. And you know what? Sometimes you don't want to be joyful now, do you? Well, Lord... I'm going to be joyful. The joy of the Lord is my strength. If I abandon my joy, I abandon my strength. I will keep my joy. You're not taking it from me. It's a command. Humility is a command in Scripture. Be humble. The greatest in the kingdom of God is the least. How wonderful would it be if we all were trying, deferring honor to one another? <laughs> This, is, this wouldn't only make you flourish, this would make your family flourish. This would make your community flourish. Now at the same, and this is an obvious point, but one that needs to be made, and this is one of these things that, that drive me a little crazy, I'm going to be honest. You cannot keep God's commandments if you do not know God's commandments. Duh. Well, yeah. <laughs> so read your Bible. Well, I don't have time. Are you that If you don't have time for that, you don't have time for anything. Read the word. For example, you can't obey what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount unless you read the Sermon on the Mount. Unless you study the Sermon on the Mount. You ever read something and don't understand it? Did God write it in such a way and goes, ah, well, just forget that one if it's a little difficult? No, figure it out. Memorize scripture. Desire to understand scripture. So commandment keeping always comes with study and reading and memorization. This is exactly how the book of Revelation began. Revelation 1.3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. We are blessed when we read, receive, and keep the word of God. A believer, hear me, a believer desires to keep God's word. And you cannot keep God's word if you don't know God's word. So read it <laughs> and hear it read. And what is the purpose of God's word? Because this is a very vital point that we do not want to miss. What are the commandments of God through the New Testament, through the Gospels, through the Apostles trying to do? Does God have this long set of rules so that his kingdom is filled with robots? All of these laws, commands, are to conform you into the image of his son. It's all turning you and it's all making you Christ-like. It is the Spirit molding you into the Son. And as we walk in obedience, it's not that we become more obedient, it's that we become more lovely because we look more like the Son of God. A believer keeps God's commandments because a believer is growing in Christ-likeness. Do you see this? So yes, 
So to say, I don't want these rules, is to saying, I don't want to grow closer to Christ. That is what this means. It's not, it's not about liberty. It's about growing in beauty because God's word is beautiful. These are not rules to chastise you when I messed one up, let me flog myself and be depressed and not sleep. No, it's grow into the image of the sun. Now, we need to be very careful here because we cannot miss the context of this commandment keeping in today's text. Verse 12 says, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So endurance and commandment keeping is useless, is dead apart from a faith in Jesus. I've taken us through many Bible verses, including today's text, that tell us that we need to keep God's commandments. Which seems to be Acts 2.42, again, everything that the Lord and his apostles wrote. Those are our commandments. And so the commandments of God are from the written, completed word of God, which we're going to talk about a lot tomorrow on, on the B-side. Uh, the commandments of God are, are from the written and completed word of God. What Jesus and his apostles tell us is Christian living. Now, as true as this is that Christians need to follow the word and keep the New Testament commands, are there not dangers and snares here? If the Pharisees have taught us anything, it's that we can ruin a perfectly good thing. <laughs> Paul lays out in Galatians 2.16 that following a, the law apart from Jesus leads to death. So here's the warning. If you come to the word of God and pick up morals and learn helpful life lessons and glean insights on good living, and you do that apart from a relationship of faith in Jesus, it will not save you. You see, people can come to church and read their Bible and spend time with enough Christians and pick up the lingo and pick up some form of morality, some ethics, code of conduct, and keep them until they die. But a man or a woman is not saved because of their morality. No one is saved because of their church attendance. No one is saved because we've picked up some form of godliness. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who is all there? All. <laughs> and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, what a great word, by his blood to be received by faith. You receive it by faith. Salvation is not earned by works, but is received as a gift by faith. I love what Dr. Frank says. How do you receive a gift? You say, thank you. I'll take it. And once that faith in Christ is present, then we work at persevering. Then we work at sanctification and righteous living and commandment keeping. And please understand, we cannot disconnect ourselves from the source. The lampstand without the oil burns out. If your lamp is not continually filled with the oil of his spirit, you will fizzle out. How many people do you see, they come to church, they get fired up, and in a year they're gone? Because without the continual outpouring of God's grace, it's not going to last. We are saved not because of some devotional life or church attendance or commandment keeping. We are not saved by works, but in a genuine faith in Jesus. And only when that faith is present is commandment keeping fruitful. Otherwise, Galatians 2, it only leads to death. We must have all of this rooted in a relationship with Christ. Now, I want to add a little footnote here before we move on, because it's fun. Uh, Jesus said in Mark 7, 6, and he said to them, so this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, so you know he's going to slam dunk on them. Uh, and he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites? <laughs> you know, just as a little pause here, I think so many people would reject Jesus today because they wouldn't consider him nice enough. <laughs> Jesus isn't exactly nice the way that we like to categorize it. In fact, there's an old saying, 
cowards always consider uh, strong-chested men uh, cruel. And Jesus, you know, he, he stood up for what was right. And they called him cruel for it. And cowards were afraid of him. And, oh, he's so mean. No, he loved greater than anyone ever loved. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teachings as doctrines, the commandments of men. So first, we are not saved by a profession of faith, but the possession of faith. There is a way that the entire outward life looks like it's tuned to Christ, but they have our hearts far from him. It is very clear to me as I study this scripture that as much effort is, as is needed to be put towards the outward spiritual life, there also needs to be great effort, a great deal of force put into our inward spiritual life. You see this a lot with pastors, don't you? They output, 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 and they stop taking care of their own souls. And then sooner or later, you have a monster on your hands. We need to be focused inwardly as well. As, as we, we need to, to study God's word and apply it to our lives, we also need to be in the word and on our knees and desperate for God to move in us. For example, my wife needs a faithful husband. But my wife also needs a faithful husband who desires to be faithful. A lot of people are faithful because they haven't been given the opportunity to be unfaithful. It's the heart. As my kid needs a loving father, my kids need a father who desires to grow in loveliness and kindness and patience. Yes, we need to work on the outward, but dear God, we have to work on the inward as well because we're our greatest obstacle. We like to think it's everyone else. No, it's you. <laughs> You're the problem for you. We need to work on our hearts. Now Jesus goes on to say in Mark chapter 7 to the Pharisee, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Ooh. Here is another clear warning from Scripture that not only can we be spiritually dead inwardly, yet appear spiritually living outwardly, but also the dead religion also has a very nasty habit of adding to the commandments, even making them more important than God's. I want to tell you a story. When I was in high school, many moons ago, uh, I, had a, I had a friend who came to church uh, here, uh, and his family, well, they were not saved, but they sent their kid every week. And the kid really started to love the church. And so the family, the, the mother and the father, became intensely curious, what's going on with our boy? He sure loves this church. Well, one day, this unsaved family invited one of my buddy's friends from the church over to their house for a meal. Well, <laughs> I wish I could have warned them to invite a different family because this particular family, uh, the mother was very legalistic. And to her, the grave sin, the sin above all sins, maybe the blasphemy of the spirit, was drinking alcohol. It was really, really bad. And so when the meal came out, the unsafe family, in their generosity, opened a bottle of wine. And the mother from our church at the time was so bothered, she grabbed her plate of food and her silverware, went to a different room of the house and ate a meal, ate the meal there uh, while the rest of the family ate dinner, uh, the, the, the meal with the wine in the other room because she felt so uncomfortable. This is similar to what Jesus is warning about in Mark 7. This religious woman was willing to insult the charity of the host who had prepared the meal, the hospitality of the host by eating in a different room, and worst of all, what do you think the unsaved parents thought? These people are nuts! Who does that? They probably talked about it for a month! And they never came to church. You see, there's, there's warnings 
in the Bible about drinking too much. But the Bible actually is pretty pro-alcohol. I'm probably not encouraging you right here in a good way, but it is. But, but he, here, the, this woman's human commandment, her human law, thou shalt not drink, not biblical or tradition, became weightier to her than the commandments of God. Like showing honor and grace and living peaceably and being a good witness. And let me pick on myself here because I don't only want to pick on others. I used to have two reading plans every night before bed. Yes, I know, I'm amazing. And so, <laughs> spiritual man. And I, you know, I had two reading plans and I'm like, I'm going to do it. And I did this for years. Well, about four months ago, I found myself reading it so fast so I could just go to bed. I was so tired. I was like, and Jesus said, and Jesus said, and Jesus said. And I was like speed reading, retaining nothing. I mean nothing. I covered large tracts of land and I learned nothing. Uh, and finally I realized I put myself under a law that I created. And the law and the tradition I placed myself under not only did me no good, it started to hurt me. It started to choke out my fellowship, my communion with God. It started to make me not cherish the word of God like I should. So now I read less before bed, and that's more godly for me. So a really good practice for us believers is to constantly question, why am I doing this? Where did I get this law from? Where did I get this rule from? And if it's a tradition of man, maybe it's a good tradition. You know, the Bible doesn't say anything about not drinking and driving. It's a good rule, you know, one you should keep. Uh, before I watch a movie with my kids, I have a six and a four-year-old. I Googled to find out what's in the movie. Call me crazy, good tradition. Now, at the same time, if we never question our traditions or habits, we may never realize when some of them may be bad. Or you know what? There's a real problem of overemphasizing. So be on guard. You know, I found myself sometimes I'd be so serious about my reading and prayer before bed. Uh, there would come times we'd put the kids to bed and it'd be time for me and my wife to sit down and talk. And it'd be like, well, I got to go do my devotion. It's like, don't, how foolish is that? Spend time with your family. <laughs> and, and so we, we have to constantly be adjusting. Even if it's a good thing, it can blow itself out of proportion. Um, verse 13. We made two words last Sunday. We're really cooking today. <laughs> and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. If you want to know who the now on is, what the now on is, you're going to have to check out tomorrow's Bible study. But in short, that I believe also applies to us. Uh, verse 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit. And now we see that both the voice from heaven, likely God, and the Spirit agree that those who die in their faith are blessed, and not just blessed, blessed, blessed. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. We're done our reading. If heaven is a place of rest from our labors, that should tell you that a Christian must labor. Do you see that? Again, this is back to our theme of commandment keeping, enduring the, the yoke of Christ. And when we see that the deeds of the saints follow them, again, there's a great emphasis on the duty and the work of the believer, but we don't want to miss the sweet promise here to us that no good deed will be forgotten by God. Isn't that awesome? You can cook dinner for your family. You can go to work and work hard. When you're honest, when you've been incentivized to lie, when you show grace and mercy to difficult people, God doesn't forget any of it. And he rewards all of it. That's awesome. Um, before we go, two things I'd like to talk about. First, rest. Uh, our, our rest and work. First, I want to talk about work. 
There's a passage I like very much about Christian commandment keeping from Galatians 5.16. I want to read it to you. Galatians 5.16. But I say, now this is Paul. Paul's an apostle. Apostles can write scripture. Can you write scripture? No, because you're not an apostle. <laughs> apostles have the authority to write scripture. When someone claims they're apostles, they're claiming they can write scripture. That should be a real red flag uh, because all the apostles are dead. Uh, so Paul is an apostle. Uh, so he has authority to write scripture. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Can you think of a more relevant verse to today's culture? Well, uh, this is how I feel. God don't care. You need to do what you're supposed to do, not always how you feel. Your feelings does not trump God's truth uh, uh, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul talks about being under the law in 1 Corinthians because in Corinth he was dealing with the crazy people. He was dealing with the people who were really good at sinning and living like, for example, when it time came time for communion, they were getting drunk off the communion wine. And a lot of the rich people were getting drunk first. So when the people who were out in the fields all day came in, all the wine was gone because all the rich people were sloshed. And so Paul goes, oh, guys, come on, don't get drunk, share with one another. Uh, and so they were, they were pretty good at sinning, this church. And so he says, you all are under the law of Christ. But now Paul, like a good pastor, he's now talking to the church in Galatia. And these people were dealing with a very different issue. They were the kind of, you ever met someone who's very dutiful and they get very serious very quickly? And in Galatia, they were falling back into the Old Testament laws. They were the kind of people that were very quick to bury themselves under rules and under a set of, of whatever. And so Paul reminds them that you're free. You're out of the law. You're out of the Old Testament. And we are out of the Old Testament sacrificial system. We're out of the Mosaic law. And now we're under the Spirit of God, the, the commandments of Jesus. And he likens being under the commands of Jesus by walking by the Spirit. So Paul says here, we're to walk by the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? The Christian life is not a sit. The Christian life is not a lounge. I like lounging. The Christian life is a walk. It is a life infinitely more grand and beautiful and freeing than a life of slavery to Satan, but it is still a life that requires some effort. It requires a life of one foot in front of the other as we live by the Spirit, as we make our journey home to Christ. And this word walk in the Greek is in the present tense, meaning that a Christian life is not made up of some walking, but is a life of continual walking in the Spirit. Continually walking in righteousness. Continually walking in obedience to Christ and His Word. You know some people like this. Uh, every Friday night they put their Christianity aside and get crazy. And then comes Saturday afternoon, they put it back on. No, you're not to stop walking. And this word walk is also in the active voice, meaning that you are responsible for your own walk. I can't walk for you. Your spouse, your children cannot walk for you. Your religious friend who wears the cross necklace all the time, they cannot walk for you. You have to walk this walk. You have to run this race. You have to contend for the faith. You have to walk the narrow way. There are a lot of spouses who will be separated on Judgment Day because they rode on the faith of another. This word walk is also in the uh, imperative mood, meaning it's not a suggestion, it's a command. If you are saved, you are not asked to walk by the Spirit, you are commanded to. So loved ones, 
coming into salvation is the easiest thing in the world. All you have to do is believe. <laughs> really simple. But once we believe, we say, Jesus, I choose you to pay for the wages of my sin, which is death. At that point, John chapter 3, you are born again. But if you read John 3, it's born again into a kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so our lives now belong to the king. And Jesus is not interested in keeping you the same as when you belonged to Satan. <laughs> he has a wonderful plan for your life. And so he has sealed you with the Spirit of God, his Spirit, to not only help you navigate this life, but to transform you, to sanctify you, to conform you into the image of himself. This is why Revelation 14 tells us that those who will be received in heaven are those who keep the commandments because it's evidence that those are the ones who are walking by the Spirit. They're walking in Christ-likeness. They're walking in fellowship with God. They're walking in beauty. They're growing in beauty. So walk. Secondly, rest. God has given us so many blessings in this world, but at the same time, it is also a world filled with so much sin. I can't even watch the news anymore. I don't know about it. I can't watch it. It drives me crazy. I'm already losing my hair. I really lose my hair when I watch the news. So, so between Satan's fiery arrows and difficult people and a failing body and politics and inflation and culture wars and banks are closing, what's going to happen Monday? I don't know. And, and there's so much sin all the time. It's exhausting, isn't it? I, 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 I hit my head on the pillow sometimes and it's out out life will beat us down wear us out like a long walk or a hike you ever hike a really far distance you're only moving your feet but your back hurts your arms hurt and your head's like ah. and our bodies break down from long walks and the reality is the more christ-like you become the more of a servant you become. And let me ask you a question. Is serving effortless? <laughs> if it is, you're only serving the people you want to serve. <laughs> Sometimes Christ calls you to serve some very difficult people. And serving is a joy and it is a privilege but it is also an output of energy. And let's not pretend it's not. And the more Christ-like you become, the more of Christ's character shines through you, which means you become more of a servant. And as you become more of a servant, you have more of an output of energy. There is no greater joy in this life than walking by the Spirit, but walking is an output of energy. You ever read that story where there's a storm in the, uh, on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples? There's a storm, and the waves are about to crush the boat. And all of a sudden, they show where Jesus is, and he's asleep. <laughs> Do you know why he's asleep? Because in his humanity, he was wiped out and drained. That's our model. Jesus is the one who saves our soul. Absolutely. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Christ plus nothing. Your works add nothing to your salvation. But the Christian life, once we are saved, is a walk. And a long walk. It's a life of mission. It's a life of purpose. It's a life of wrestling and resisting evil. You ever wrestle before? I did jujitsu for years. I was very good. Now my back's broken, but I was very good. And it's exhausting. You wrestle for two or three minutes and you're like, I just took a shower. I'm so sweaty. <laughs> well, that's me anyways. But you just, it was, it, it's an output. It's all an output. And so God, knowing this, 
He writes what he writes in verse 13. Verse 12 was about enduring, was about keeping the faith among trial, was about keeping the commandments of God. And then verse 13 comes through with this, blessed. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Both God and the Holy Spirit testified us. We have two witnesses here that tell us that when we get to heaven, we will finally enter into a deep rest. The Hebrew word for, or the, 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 the Greek word for rest here means rest, but it also carries with it that the Lord has prepared a place for us to rest. Isn't that awesome? He knows that our life has been a long journey. He knows that you're tired. And when we come home to him, it's almost as if heaven is a place where we can finally take our shoes off and sit and rest. Spurgeon once said from the pulpit, we shall rest in him. The spirit shall enter into perfect rest and the body shall also rest from all its toils its pains and its diseases. There shall be no more languor or weariness or no more sorrow or crying. The day of rest shall never end for the Sabbath of eternity shall never be broken. How awesome is that? In another sermon, he said, in heaven, we shall enjoy perfect rest for there shall be no sin to disturb our peace. You ever have a perfectly fine moment, but then your brain... It starts. Start thinking about things that wound you. Gone. Perfect peace. No care to mar our joy. No weariness to exhaust our strength. This is a rest without end, prepared by God Almighty. Luther once said, in heaven, we will be completely at rest in the presence of God, enjoying perfect peace and joy that can never be taken away. God's work in you will be so complete, you can't mess it up. <laughs> it says that when those are thrown into the lake of fire, the door is shut. Well, it's not only shut for them, it's shut for you. There will be no rebellion in hell, heaven. There will be no rebellion in your life. You will be perfectly at peace with God forever, unbroken, without interruption, without threat. And this rest that, that can never be taken away from you. The question, one of the questions I had from today's text is why did the Spirit have to speak specifically? Like why does it say, and the Spirit said? And I'd like to think, and I, and I do think, since he is the one alive, at present, at work within his church, walking with us, <laughs> praying. You know, it says that the spirit in you prays for you. <laughs> Just keeping you together with like glue and duct tape sometimes. He's walking with you. He's praying for you. He's growing fruit in you. He's guiding you. I believe when this voice from heaven declares that there is coming a time when the church will actually rest from their labors, the way that this is written and the what I'm thinking is the Spirit so looking forward to the day when he's not gathering millions of people into heaven at a time, just keeping us together, helping us pull arrows from the evil one out of us, keeping us back from our own foolishness, that when God from heaven says, blessed indeed are those who die in the Lord from now on, the spirit so excited goes, blessed indeed. <laughs> yes, they will rest from their labors, that the spirit so ready for this day speaks out in agreement. Yes! John Owen once said, heaven is a perfect place of rest where the souls of the redeemed enjoy eternal peace and joy in the presence of God. There we shall be completely free from all the cares and concerns of this life and we shall rest in the fullness of God's love and grace forever. As we close, I want to encourage you to endure, to walk, and remain faithful in Jesus. 
that at the end of our lives, we may join in with the apostle who said in 2 Timothy 4, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the fight. Do you see the three pillars there? Because those who endure, who walk, and who keep are not only blessed, says God the Father, but so says the Spirit who's doing those things in you. And you know what? If you endure, not only are you blessed, but you will rest indeed. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your blessings, your kindness. We thank you when Jesus said, in my Father's house is many, some say mansions, some say rooms, but for, it's a place that you have prepared for us. And we know that it is a place that you have prepared to rest us. <laughs> it's almost as if there is our bedrooms already with our names on them. And so, God, we thank you. And God... When you talk about your return, when you talk about us meeting you, you are very, very clear in that those who meet the Lord while they are serving are those who are rewarded. And those who are not serving, not keeping commands, those are the ones who come under judgment. And so, God, give us an extra boost of energy that we may spend it for your kingdom and serve your people self-sacrificially. And God, we thank you that for heaven, the promises that you've given us. And God, we pray that you help us to endure, that you help us to keep your commandments, and God, help us to keep your faith in you. It is all a gift of grace, and every morning it must be supplied in new mercies. And God, we pray, do it again. <laughs> Get us home, we pray. And if there's anything in us that needs to be removed, burned, or thrown away, God, do it now. Do it now before we meet you, that we may hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So God, be with us now, protect us now, send us out walking. And in Jesus' name, if anyone needs prayer, we ask that they may receive prayer by our team off by the side. God, please bless this church and bless our families now. Be with us. Jesus' name, all who agreed said, amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary, Baltimore. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary, Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. If you can't be here in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon.